0: What do you do when your world changes overnight? When one event becomes the first domino that falls, creating a chain reaction that you may not be able to see the end of? Do you panic? Do you adapt? Do you feel strong or weak? Do you feel vulnerable or invincible? Do you heed the advice of experts? Or question who is an expert in the first place? And how do you sort through the piles and piles of facts and opinions coming at you from all sides? As you've probably already guessed, this is a very special episode of Unspookable. Just like you, we were in the middle of business as usual. For us, that meant prepping for our fourth season when COVID-19, or coronavirus, completely changed the course of our daily lives, altered our work, and restructured our families and social circles there are a lot of options available to us during this difficult time. We could lay on the couch and stare at the ceiling. We could open a window and scream at our neighbors. Or we could, as we here at Unspookable tend to do, look back in order to look forward, and think together about how humanity has weathered the storm of fear that accompanies global health crises before. Aren't you glad we chose that option? I'm Elise Parisian. And we'll be discussing the Black Plague on this special episode of Unspookable. There's an image you might recognize of a tall figure in a black coat with a wide-brimmed black hat, gloves, boots, and a mask with round eyes and a long, bird-like beak. You can't see any of the figure's skin at all. Who are they? What could they be doing in a costume like that? It's a spooky sight in any context, but imagine if this person was your doctor. This image comes to us from around the 1600s in Europe, and these doctors were plague doctors trained to go into communities affected by the bubonic plague and give patients the help that they could, as well as performing autopsies to try and understand more about the illness. But what exactly is the plague? What are we referring to when we say that?
1: A plague, I think, is kind of like a virus, but it's more contagious than a virus. I'm not quite sure what a plague is, but I'm pretty
2: sure it's when a big group of people get sick and it keeps on spreading. A plague is when a contagious bacterial disease spreads all over and takes people down.
0: Well, historically, the first major plague outbreak happened well before the 17th century doctors developed that costume. It was during the rule of Roman Emperor Justinian I. Around the year 540, leading historians to refer to it as the Plague of Justinian. Affecting Constantinople, now the city of Istanbul in the country of Turkey, and many port cities in the Mediterranean Sea, this plague outbreak had recurrences for almost 200 years. The next major plague, one you might be familiar with, broke out in Europe in 1347. This is the one that we refer to as the Black Plague. By 1351, it had spread all over Europe and Asia, affecting an estimated 200 million people. Once the major spread was contained, instances of plague still popped up in many places, though not quite as fiercely as during the 1300s. During that major outbreak, the Italian poet Giovanni Boccaccio wrote, The mere touching of the clothes appeared to itself to communicate the malady to the toucher. By the time the 1600s rolled around, doctors understood a little more about transmission, though they still didn't understand the cause. And this is where the creepy costume comes in. In 1630, a French physician practicing in Italy named Charles de Lorma popularized the costume we recognize today with complete body covering. So why the creepy beak mask? Well, for lots of doctors, going into homes where someone was infected meant that the smell of the illness was all around. Doctors had learned that lancing the swollen lymph nodes, or buboes, seemed to be helpful in saving some patients. The beak was developed as part of the costume specifically to hold herbs, perfumes, and flowers near the nose of the doctor to filter out the bad smells and protect from miasma, or harmful air. As time went on, the costume began to stand in for a representation of illness, or death itself. The figure became a popular character in Italian Commedia dell'arte shows, which we talked about in our Clowns episode, and the mask is still worn today at Italian carnivals and as Halloween costumes in the United States and beyond. Characters designed after the look of the Plague Doctor costume have appeared in video games like Overwatch, World of Warcraft, and Pokemon X&Y. Television shows like Supernatural and Doctor Who have used references to this costume. And there's even a professional wrestler called the villain, who often wears a beak mask and an overcoat and carries an umbrella into the ring. In just a few hundred years, the plague doctor became a symbol, a figure more associated with the horror movie aesthetic than with the circumstances under which it was actually created, likely because the mere presence of this costume at the time of the plague itself would have inspired fear in any town the doctor was seen. Captivating imagery aside, the plague continued to advance and retreat over the following centuries. A third widespread outbreak began in the 1850s and spread throughout China and India, eventually impacting primarily the west coast of the United States in the early 1900s. So over more than a thousand years of multiple plague outbreaks, what has been the response? How have we tried to study, treat, and cure the plague and other infectious diseases? Well, perhaps you won't be surprised to hear that humans haven't always taken the most scientific of approaches. More on medicine
2: and magic in a moment. Currently, we are not in school because viruses spread very quickly. And if there's a larger virus, more
1: germs could get to more people and make them sick. Social distancing is when you try... Um, like, social is more than one people, like, being social is like talking, but social distancing, distancing means getting far away, so that means social distancing means, like, staying away from people. That's what it means. Social distancing
2: is a way to help not spread viruses as quickly by staying, like if you're talking to someone, staying six feet apart from them just to make sure that you don't spread new germs. Social distancing is six feet apart or more. In my free time, what I've been doing at home is trying to get in extra schoolwork that our teachers are assigning us virtually and trying to get crafts in so then I'm not bored at home. Face timing and Zooming my friends
1: and homework, art, and reading. I have been playing, watching movies, and doing a lot of chores during my free time.
0: Take conserve of red roses, conserve of wood sorrel, of each two ounces, conserves of borage, of sage flowers, of each six drams, bowl harmoniac, shavings of heart's horn, sorrel seeds of each two drams, yellow or white saunders, half a dram. Saffron one scruple, syrup of wood sorrel, enough to make it moist. Electuary. Mix them well, take so much as a chestnut at a time, once or twice a day, as you shall find cause. This is just one of the many recommended treatments for the plague, given in the 44-page text The College of Physicians of London, sent to the court of King Charles II in 1665. Some other methods over the centuries included rubbing onions, herbs, or a chopped up snake, if available, on the boils, or cutting up a pigeon and rubbing it all over an infected body, drinking vinegar, eating crushed minerals, arsenic, mercury, or even ten-year-old treacle sitting close to a fire or in a sewer to drive out the fever, fumigating the house with herbs to purify the air. These probably sound silly or even dangerous to us now, but truthfully, the doctors at the time were doing the best they could with the information they had. After all, we didn't even know about handwashing at the time. The first study on handwashing as an effective method for curbing disease spread came from Hungarian doctor Ignaz Semmelweis in 1846. But people in the medical community mocked his findings, with doctors scoffing at the suggestion that they should wash their hands. It wasn't until decades later that this practice became adopted by the medical community and shared with the public. It's probable that in the 1300s, at the time of the Black Plague, no one would have known what washing your hands meant, let alone practiced it. As with so many things that we talk about on this show, not understanding the underlying reasons for something scary, in this case, the plague, led people to making wild guesses, coming up with upsetting and ineffective treatments, and even in some cases, turning on their fellow humans as the source of the problem. We've talked before on Unspookable about how people look to religion to explain things they can't understand, like widespread illness. During the Black Plague, many people thought a belief in God could save them from the plague, or that not believing in God, or worshipping properly, was the cause of the plague in the first place. In September of 1349, a group of 600 men participated in daily rituals in London, meant to punish themselves for the sins that brought on the plague, which involved exposure to the elements, and sometimes hurting themselves. This probably sounds extreme, or dangerous to us and it likely was for them. But like so many others, they were simply following the logic that they had. If they could show God that they were sorry, perhaps the plague would go away. Others created different types of religious amulets, or ornaments meant to protect against disease, either out of precious stones or by drawing or carving special inscriptions in their homes. For most, ink and paper were far too expensive. But wealthier people commissioned amulet drawings in bright colors, with careful calligraphy to hang in their houses and ward off the disease. Unfortunately, the Black Plague also led to discrimination and even violence towards some. In scary times, it's easy for neighbors to forget how to take care of each other, and instead let paranoia and fear overwhelm them. Hopefully, today, it's easier for us to take a breath And to say to ourselves, hurting others isn't going to make me feel better or prevent a disease. Hopefully, we can also use our ever-growing understanding of the science of disease to take steps to protect ourselves. Because rubbing a pigeon on your body isn't exactly a cure for anything, is it? Now, there were people who survived the plague outbreaks, but it most likely was not because of the treatments, which did not work on the underlying causes. So what makes us more prepared to deal with diseases today, and therefore, hopefully, avoid persecuting people that we blame for causing them? Modern medicine has some answers for
2: us, coming up. It's important to listen to doctors and medical professionals because If you don't know that much about illnesses, then you could be more at risk of getting
1: them. It is a good idea to listen to doctors and medical professionals because they know they've been in helping for a very long time and they are professionalists, so you should definitely listen to them since they know more about this than you. I think people get their bad information from kids who are like, I'm saying kids, like teenagers. They're helping and I think you should
2: listen to them before others because they might be more right than other people. If I had to give any advice to families, it would be to make sure your kids stay home. And try not to come in contact with older grandparents or grandparents because they're at more risk of getting sick. My advice for kids and families is to take the time and focus on staying healthy.
0: When we refer to the plague or the Black Plague, we know that we are referring to an illness called by one particularly creepy bacterium, Yersinia pestis. This is the bacterium that can cause the plague's three main types, bubonic, septicemic, and pneumonic. The pandemic in Europe in the 1300s was the result of a strain of this bacterium that led to the bubonic plague, named for the buboes, or swollen lymph nodes that develop in those who are sick. You may be hearing these words a lot lately. Epidemic, or pandemic. An epidemic is an outbreak of any disease that affects many individuals at the same time. A pandemic is simply an epidemic that affects a larger geographical area, like the illness that we're experiencing now. That may sound bleak, but here's the good news. History has been preparing us for moments like these. Let's look at how. First, there's all the work we've been doing to understand the underlying causes of illness. Over a thousand years after the first major plague pandemic, humans finally discovered the cause. Alexandra Yersin discovered Yersinia pestis, the plague bacteria, in 1894 in Hong Kong. After that, it took a few years for scientists to begin developing a vaccine for plague, with the first ones available in 1897. Over the next hundred years, scientists were able to refine the vaccine, dramatically cutting down on new plague cases—at least, where people had the money and medical care to get the vaccine. People in the 1300s didn't know that microorganisms existed. They didn't know that the human body has billions of tiny living parts that work constantly to keep us alive. And they didn't know about things like the difference between bacteria and viruses. For us today, thinking about COVID-19, we already have access to thousands of times more information about what it is and how it works than most people even a hundred years ago would have seen in their entire lifetimes. First, we understand things like the difference between a bacteria, which causes the Black Plague, and a virus, like COVID-19. A bacteria is a microorganism that can live in many types of environments. Some bacteria can survive in extreme heat or cold, or in environments a human couldn't survive. A virus is even smaller and specifically needs a living host to survive and replicate. It's important to remember, bacteria and viruses are around us all the time. Many bacteria are even good for us. And many viruses, like the various strains that give us the common cold, can be fought off naturally by our immune systems. We talk a lot about monsters on this show, but honestly, viruses can be just as spooky Let's break down some of the terms we're hearing a lot now. COVID-19 is another name for SARS-CoV-2. It's a novel coronavirus. That's a lot of letters and numbers, but we can unpack them a little more. In this case, novel means new, and coronavirus refers to a large family of viruses that cause different respiratory symptoms. In COVID-19, the C-O stands for corona, the V-I for virus. In the 19 for the year 2019, when doctors and scientists identified that this was a new type in the known family of viruses that cause upper respiratory illness. Another way to refer to COVID-19 is by saying SARS-CoV-2, or Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, Coronavirus-2. So, saying coronavirus actually refers to many types of illnesses causing the virus, not specifically the strain we are dealing with now. That's the thing about viruses, they change over time. They have genetic material that evolves to try and better replicate in living hosts, which in turn changes the response of our immune system to fighting the virus, which alters the outward symptoms that we show. Now let's talk about something a little bit more complex to do with this virus. You may have heard that the virus was first identified in Wuhan, Hubei Province, China. This is true. You may have also heard that in previous decades, countries in Asia and Africa have been the origins of new strains of viruses. That is also true. But let's understand why. First, Asia and Africa are continents made up of over 100 countries, thousands of unique cultures, and billions of people. It can be easy to generalize. But if we can, we should try not to. In the particular case of Wuhan and other cities in China, there are many people living very close together as well as many livestock and other animals which create what disease specialists refer to as a natural reservoir. This means that the conditions are ideal for a strain of virus to grow and spread, often beginning in an animal host and moving to humans. The same is true in many other densely populated places where people might not have access to soap, running water, or medical supplies all the time. But does that mean it's the fault of the people in Wuhan, or in the rest of China? Or the fault of Chinese Americans or anyone else who has family origins in countries that may present conditions for a virus to spread? No. In 1347, Jewish people were blamed for the Black Plague with harmful consequences. In 2020, Chinese people are being blamed for COVID 19, also with harmful consequences. With all we know now about hand washing, about disease, about microorganisms, Our understanding of how to fight disease has changed. Hopefully, our understanding of how to fight unfounded prejudice can evolve too. We talk a lot on Unspookable about fear of difference, fear of illness, and fear of death. How all of these things are related. And often, how these fears lead us to create stories we tell to ourselves, and each other, about why human life is the way that it is. As human beings, we know our brains are wired to seek safety. In our activities, our relationships, and our environments. The safety that will help us be able to maintain a society where we can grow and reproduce. In fact, pretty much all living creatures are wired that way. Other mammals, reptiles, fish, plants, and even, unfortunately, the virus that is leading to all of these infections. All it wants to do is find safety and replicate. That's its only task on this earth. Is that supposed to make us feel better about the havoc it's causing? No. But if there's anything we've learned by creating Unspookable, it's that human beings don't always have a choice about what happens to them. But we do have a choice about the way we respond. During outbreaks of the Black Plague, the plague doctors who were brave enough to keep treating patients and seeking a cure knew hardly anything about what a virus was, how it spread, and why it was life-threatening. Look how far we've come. The question now is how each of us will respond. Will we learn all we can and make choices that keep ourselves and others safe? Will we be the family members, friends, coworkers, students, teachers, siblings, and parents who will be able to look back on this time once it passes and say, I did what I could, even when it was hard. We can be those people. We can. And we will. Wishing you health and safety from all of us at Unspookable. Thanks for listening to Unspookable. This episode was hosted by me, Elise Parisian. Written by Eleanor Riley Condit. Produced and edited by Nate DuFort. Our theme song and additional music composed by Jesse Case. Our logo was created by Natalie Kewen. Special thanks this week to our guests Blythe, Olivia, and Al. Look for Unspookable Season 4, Creepy Creatures and Mythical Beasts, coming later this spring. And if you haven't already, we'd love if you left a review for Unspookable in your podcast player of choice. Unspookable is part of the Soundsington Audio Network committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to www.soundzingtonmedia.com.
2: For over six years, The Past and the Curious has been winning fans, sharing stories of real people from the past, and making people smile. I'm Mick Sullivan, author of I See Lincoln's Underpants, which is a book about, well, famous people's underwear. You'll find all of those stories and much, much more in the 100 plus episodes of The Past and the Curious that are currently available. Find it in all the usual podcast places. The Past and the Curious with Mick Sullivan. That's me.